Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is hard to believe, but it's March 8th, 2019, and uh, spring is almost upon us, but uh, winter's not done yet, so look out. Uh, I hope that wherever you live, that um, the weather is good, that things are going well for you and those close to you. But our country continues to um, undergo an era that I think is truly historic. Um, the survival of our country as we know it is truly on the list where the government that was supposed to be of the people, by the people, and for the people seemingly has moved quite a distance from that uh, lofty concept. Uh, we have a president who uh, wants to make America first, and we have crazy Americans who somehow think that there's something wrong with that idea. You know, these issues aren't left or right issues. They're right or wrong issues. And those of you familiar with me, familiar with the program, know that ever since the attacks of 9-11, the terrorist attacks, that is, um, it has become my mission to wake up our fellow Americans, our alleged leaders, and I use that term extremely loosely, to the perils when when our borders are not secured, when our immigration laws are not enforced, because those laws and our borders are our first and last line of defense. And that's not a statement of xenophobia. It's a statement of reality. You're not antisocial if you lock your doors at night, particularly if the police warn you that there have been home invaders and burglars prowling your neighborhood after dark. But yet, anybody who would dare suggest that we be careful not to let in criminals, terrorists, drug traffickers, um, people who would hurt us, or people who would take the jobs Americans desperately need to support themselves and their families, are insulted, attacked verbally, attacked physically in some cases. It's a very dangerous set of circumstances. And the apparent anti-Semitism that we've been seeing um, coming from certain members of Congress um, and the Democratic Party, the moral rectitude to stand up to the lunacy is a dangerous, dangerous precedent. Uh, I'm registered as a Democrat. I want to be clear about this. The Democratic Party is no longer the Democratic Party, and therein lies the problem. The Republicans have always been about business. The Democrats used to be about workers. Uh, My dad will always be my biggest hero right next to my mom. My father was a construction worker, a tradesman. There was a time when I first registered to vote that there was no doubt in anyone's mind that the Democratic Party stood behind American workers and their families. Today, folks, If the Democrats get behind the American workers, look out. I have never seen a greater betrayal of the American people than that staged by the politicians who refuse to protect America and Americans from criminals and terrorists and drugs and gangs and foreign workers. And that's why I do this program. Uh, Certainly, I don't get paid for doing it. It actually costs me money to do this show. I do it because when those ashes landed on my home in Brooklyn on September 11, 2001, um, from that day forward, I have not been the same. 
My neighbors have not been the same. America has not been the same. And I would argue the world has not been the same. And all the lessons that we should have learned have gone unlearned, if you will. The nonsense coming out of Washington defies belief. It defies the Constitution. And it defies the findings and recommendations of the 9-11 Commission, to which I provided testimony. The madness is only getting worse. And it's time for the American people to get their voices heard. We're at crossroads. We truly are at crossroads. And where we go from here is up to we, the people. The politicians have become emboldened and convinced that Americans are too stupid to know better. I don't think that's the case, but maybe we've gotten too lazy to do anything about it. So I want to start out before I even talk about the immigration crisis. And make no mistake, what we're dealing with is a crisis and not just on the southern border. Certainly that qualifies as a crisis. The whole system that is supposed to protect us, our immigration system, has been dysfunctional for decades, doing the bidding of the wealthy and the powerful while making damn sure that um, nothing stopped their delivery of cheap labor and foreign students and foreign tourists. And for the lawyers out there, an unlimited supply of clientele in the form of aliens who need immigration benefits. That's the reason for pushing comprehensive reform. Forget the nonsense. Oh, we can't deport them all, so the best we can do is give them lawful status. All that was was an attempt by the politicians to fill lawyers' waiting rooms with clients from coast to coast and border to border, and they've been successful to a point, and they realized that an amnesty program would fill those offices to overflowing. But before we get to that, I want you to understand that history is written by individuals. Wherever I go, whenever I do speaking engagements, and if any of you are familiar with opportunities, you can reach me through my website, michaelcutler.net. I'm going to be in New Jersey in a couple of weeks. I'm going to be in Washington, D.C., working with the Speakers Bureau that I've been affiliated with for quite a few years, Alan Freed Associates. Um, So I I do these speaking events as a way of educating people. And wherever I go, I always get somebody or people, in fact, coming up to me and saying, Mike, how in the world do I do anything about this? I'm just one person. So I'm going to say to all of you today what I said when when I introduced Lou Barletta at the rally when he ran unsuccessfully for the Senate, largely unsuccessful because the Senate wouldn't fund his campaign. The man who arguably helped to push President Trump over the line, the finish line, so he could win the presidency by giving him the state of Pennsylvania, had his campaign defunded by the Republicans. The globalists have taken over our country. The globalists who don't give a damn about sovereign borders, American lives, or American jobs are running the show. That's how we got into this mess But wherever I go, I hear the same thing. I'm one person. So when I stood up on stage to introduce Lou Barletta, what I said was this. Individuals write history. If you think back to the Second World War, tens of millions of people were slaughtered. God knows how many were injured, how many were orphaned, how many were traumatized. National boundaries were redrawn. Cities were were left in ruins. This was a global catastrophe because of a handful of lunatics who took control of the German government. 
a handful of lunatics. But if you think back to the Second World War, if you took out a pen and paper and put away your connection to the Internet, put away your smartphone, put away your laptop, if I gave you 15 minutes and said, okay, when the bell rings, you've got 15 minutes to write down the names of the key players during the Second World War, good or bad, I don't care, Mussolini or General Patton, Dwight Eisenhower or Goebbels, whoever you want to look at, write down the names. I'm willing to bet you that you would be hard-pressed to come up with more than maybe two or three dozen names, even if you've been something of a history student. Now think about that. Tens of millions of people killed, borders redrawn, the level of devastation unparalleled in the history of our species. And yet, you'd probably be hard-pressed to come up with more than three dozen names of the key players. What does that tell you? It just takes a few people to step up to the plate at that moment in time when the world needs some intervention, when our country needs some intervention. We can all make a difference. And remember also that every storm, every flood starts with that first drop of rain. So I just want you to think about this. I don't want you to give me that cop-out business. Oh, I'm just one person. I can't do anything. Don't tell that when he was around General uh, George Patton. Don't tell that to Einstein. Don't tell that uh, to Dwight Eisenhower or Sir Winston Churchill. And yes, those were the leaders. They were. But the individuals who stood with them made the difference. D-Day was about the grunts, the soldiers, who had the, the chutzpah and the dedication and the devotion and the bravery to step forward and do what's necessary. So all I'm asking you is to get involved, share information with your neighbors, make the phone calls to your elected representatives, go and visit with them, send them letters, let them understand we're not the, blame, the, the, the bloody idiots that they think that we are. They're getting away with it because we're allowing them to get away with it. We keep getting lousy choices. We go into voting booths and we don't know who in the world to vote for because it's a choice of bad and worse. That's our fault. That's our fault because at the end of the day, we're the ones who cast the ballots. At the end of the day, we're the ones who can make these bums accountable. But only if we get our voices heard. When we go into restaurants, we're specific about the food that we want to eat. We're specific about the way we want it prepared, the way that we want it seasoned. If we don't like it, we send it back to the kitchen. And if that doesn't work, well, then we walk out of the darn restaurant, period. We need to be no less specific with our elected representatives. And in fairness to them, they can't represent people who don't tell them what's expected. Don't expect the waiter to bring you the meal you want if you don't tell the waiter what you want to eat. If you haven't made phone calls to your congressman or your mayor or your city council, don't tell me that they're not representing you. How the hell can they represent you if you didn't tell them what you want them to do for you? Understand the issue. Understand the issue. We have got to start to take responsibilities for our own inactivity, our own foolishness, our own laziness. And don't tell me you don't have the time. If you have time to watch a ball game or a television program, you have time to get involved. And you've got to arm yourself with the facts, and that's what this program is about. Because much of what you're seeing in the news is garbage, nonsense, propaganda, trash. A lot of what you're seeing is motivated by the globalists, 
there was just a speech made by some guy who had, you know, 18 degrees. and He was a professor and then ambassador. That this brilliant speech about how the visa waiver program enhances national security. The visa waiver program is a catastrophe, a gift of Ronald Reagan. And if I upset the conservatives by speaking ill of Ronald Reagan, my answer is tough. Call them the way it is. No one out there is immune to criticism. You know, Ed Koch, um, I thought he was a great mayor, probably the best mayor that I saw in all my time uh, on this earth. But he made his share of mistakes. He's continued sanctuary or was one of the people who started the sanctuary policies. And what Koch used to say was, I hope you agree with me. But if you agree with me, I, I believe the figure was more than 80 percent of the time you're in need of psychiatric help. If we blindly follow leaders, I guarantee you they will do bad things. We need to question and challenge what they do and how they do it. The visa waiver program was simply a way of jamming more people into America so people in the hotel, hospitality, travel, entertainment businesses can make more money. That's what it was about. After 9-11, the visa waiver program should have ended. And here we have some guy standing up and making a speech just a couple days ago saying the visa waiver program makes us safe. Please read my articles about the lunacy of the visa waiver program, particularly after 9-11, particularly after there have been more terrorist attacks carried out in the United States by foreign nationals. So uh, understand, just because some guy stands in front of a TV camera or a microphone or writes some article or delivers some speech doesn't make it right doesn't give that person extra credibility. I've seen a lot of blooming idiots get on television sets. And by the way, when you watch people on television and they're discussing serious topics, not what movie to see or, or whether or not they like their hamburger at some fast food joint, but when people come on television to talk about national security, the military, all those critical issues where lives and public safety and national security hang in the balance, Ask yourself if the person running his mouth is actually an expert who has the expertise, the perspectives, uh, the knowledge to be taking an opinion on the issue. You know, I've been with the INS issue since 1971 when I first became an inspector at Kennedy Airport for the INS, the Immigration and Naturalization Service. Spent 30 years with that agency. I think I've developed a pretty good understanding of what works and doesn't work and how it fails and how it could be made better where immigration is concerned. But I can't tell you how many times I've been on programs, television, radio, and the host would suddenly switch directions and say, by the way, Mike, do you think we should have gone into Iraq? Do you think we should have gone into Afghanistan? This was shortly after 9-11. And I refused to be drawn into that conversation because I was never in the military. I didn't know what the president knew or when he knew it. I'm not the person to ask that question of. I had the good common sense and decency to say I can't answer that question. Now, do I have an opinion? Of course I do, but opinions are like backsides. We all have them. But is it worth spewing your nonsense on a program and waste millions of people's time when you don't know what in the world you're really talking about? I wouldn't do it. You know, my my parents are the people who um, had the biggest impact on my life. I still tell people I'm standing on their shoulders, and it's been more than a half century taught me to believe it more than a half century since I was last with them. And I remember my dad, when I was a teenager, looking across the dinner table at me over the top of his glasses, giving me what I came to call the father look with real intensity and real annoyance. 
and a stern voice, if I was running my mouth, and he'd say, Mike, empty barrels make a lot of noise. And what he was telling me in that simple sentence is if you don't know what you're talking about, you're making noise, shut up. And I knew better than to not shut up. It was a different era. I might have gotten slapped. And by the way, in that day and age, that's not called child abuse. It was called discipline and proper rearing. So I learned that you either know what you're talking about or you don't. My mother said, you either know what you're talking about or you're a BS artist. And she said, my son is not going to be a BS artist. And she was right. And to this day, when I'm sitting in front of the cameras or I'm doing an interview or testifying at a hearing or doing one of those things that I do, and I'm asked questions where I don't have the expertise, the insight, the knowledge, I hear their voices, and I tell people, I'm sorry, I don't have a direct answer for that question. Or I certainly don't have an answer worth wasting your time with. But how many people get on in front of those cameras and microphones and they will waste all the time in the world because there they are in front of the camera and they're just going to run their mouths and waste everyone's time and misinform and confuse people. If you can't trust the messenger, as the defense attorney Johnny Cochran famously said at the OJ trial, if you can't trust the messenger, you can't trust the message. Be critical about who you're listening to and what they're discussing and whether or not it's within their realm of expertise. It's really, to me, shameful that there are news programs, so-called, who will put people on the program to discuss matters where the people participating in the conversation know less than nothing. But this seems to be the way that this country has gone. They will put people in front of the cameras who have no real knowledge, but they will spew nonsense and confound understanding of critical issues. So I just needed to get that out of the way. Feel empowered because as Americans, we have the right to get our voices heard. And that's why we need to be alarmed at all these efforts being made to shut down debate on campuses and elsewhere. If you lose the First Amendment, folks, you're no longer living in a free society. And this is not about political correctness. No, it's not. This is about Orwellian newspeak. Eliminate words, you eliminate the thoughts the words represent. And aren't we seeing all that happening with Twitter and all this other nonsense and the social media? We've gone from being the most literate country in history, where people would read books and libraries were jam-packed. And yes, I know we have computers, so there's no reason to schlep off to a library somewhere when you have a laptop or, or whatever. But really... How often do you see short articles and people will say, oh, I don't have the time or the patience to read more than a few words. If you want to be educated, it takes effort. You have to read. You have to do your homework. You have to, you know, it's like exercise. Exercise your brain or it goes away. Understand the facts. You can't make politicians or anyone else accountable unless you understand the issues. You look at the craziness of the drones on the border, which are worthless, and how many people get all excited. Oh, wow, they're going to put drones on the border. There's been so many studies done by the GAO that point to the fact that drones are worthless. Drones are meaningless, really and truly. I've spoken to Border Patrol pilots. It takes a whole bunch of people to control the drones, 
One drone costs more to operate than four or five helicopters with Border Patrol agents on board. Think about that. And yes, I understand that if the weather is lousy or we're dealing with some rough terrain or certain situations, perhaps you want to use a drone because you're not going to endanger human lives. And maybe it makes sense in rare instances. And here's the big but. A drone can't make an arrest, and the drone can't back up an agent on the ground who is being attacked. Helicopters with agents on board can. Then Obama, when he realized that the drones didn't work, did, of course, what you would expect them to do. He ordered more drones. Why? It's the magic act. Spend lots of money on technology that's not going to get the job done, but convince the American people that somehow they're doing what you want. It's the magician promising to cut the lady in half in the circus, knowing damn well that he better not do it, because if he does, he's going to go to jail. No one's ever going to work with him again. The politicians know damn well what the American people want. We'd like to have secure borders. It's a, it's a necessity. The 9-11 Commission was crystal clear. But the politicians also know if they really secure the borders, they're not going to get the money from the Chamber of Commerce, the American Immigration Lawyers Association, and a whole bunch of organizations and individuals who are counting on the destruction of the wages for American workers. People say to me, why are you a Democrat? Because I am a classic, a classical Democrat. I stand with the American workers. I remember how hard my father and his buddies worked. I literally carried my father off his job his last day of work. He was dying of lung cancer. He was 57 And a good part of the reason that he had lung cancer was that he worked in the Navy shipyards during the Second World War. Wanted to join the military. His brother was already in the Army Air Corps. And after, and you can look it up for those of you not old enough to know this, during the Second World War, five young men, the Sullivan brothers, died on a Navy ship. They were killed at the same time. Imagine a family that had five amazing young men, their boys, and in a heartbeat, they were all gone. The nation grieved. There was a movie done about it, in fact. And the consequence was the military said, okay, we're going to have a new policy. We will not allow the sole surviving male member of a family to go into the military because if something happened to them, the family's done. And so my father, his brother already in the military, he had sisters, but his, his own, the only other brother they had had passed away. So my dad was the sole surviving male member of the family. The military wouldn't take him, so he worked in the shipyards as a plumber. That was his profession. That was his trade to help work on the Navy vessels. He figured if he couldn't go overseas and kill a bunch of Nazis, he could certainly work on the ships that did the work for us. He had to contribute to the war effort. But I will tell you that those men out there on those construction sites whether it's freezing cold, sweltering hot, whatever it is, no job was ever too dangerous, backbreaking, or filthy. It was a day's work and a day's pay, and those guys would do anything for it, and we still have Americans like that today. And you hear these bums, these alleged political leaders, some leaders, talk about the work Americans won't do. The one job all Americans must do is get rid of any politician who could show that kind of contempt for hardworking Americans. They need to be sent packing for insubordination. Could you imagine if you dared to suggest that, quote, unquote, the immigrants are lazy and stupid? They'd probably march on your house with torches and pitchforks in the middle of the night. But it's a common thing to hear politicians 
insult and impugn American citizens and talk about the Americans who are too dumb to do the high-tech jobs and too lazy to do the difficult, physically difficult jobs. So the job we all have to do is any politician who could open his or her mouth and make an outrageous statement needs to be sent packing. Let them try to figure out how to earn an honest living because they sure as hell haven't been doing it up until now as far as I'm concerned. If you could make that statement, you couldn't be more anti-American if you tried. When I hear politicians say we need to import the world's best and brightest so America can lead, well, I have an answer for that. Folks, the world's best and brightest are already here. We call them Americans. And that should be the answer to any politician who dares to stand up on a stage and make statements like that. The world's best and brightest are here. We call them Americans. And I don't care if they're black, white, green, purple. I don't care what their religion is or if they don't even pray. doesn't matter. Americans have always led the charge and done the best. We're the ones who went to the moon and landed men repeatedly there over 40 years ago. No yet nation has yet repeated that. We, we were the country that broke the sound barrier and sent multiple spacecraft out of the solar system. No country has yet sent a space probe out of the solar system. How many did we send? Understand this nonsense, the lies. These self-loathing politicians who've been bought and paid for need to be removed. They are a menace. They're a menace to national security. They are a menace to public safety. They are a menace to America's middle class. And the Democrats, I have decided, their goal is to destroy the middle class. And this is the reason why. And there's a mistake that's being made. We're always hearing about how the Democrats want to import all these new immigrants who will ultimately vote for them. And there's truth to that. But there's a far bigger crisis that no one's paying attention to. If you can bring in enough foreign workers, you suppress the wages of Americans, you force Americans from the middle class into the poor. And once that happens, Americans will vote for the Democrats because it's the Democrats who promise subsidies not the Republicans, but the Democrats. So if you push people to the point where they don't have disposable income, where they think that putting the lights on in their homes when they come home from work at night is a luxury, those Americans will become Democratic voters because the Democrats will offer them financial assistance. The Republicans won't. And the Democrats, I believe, are hell-bent on destroying the two-party system and taking control and and install a one-party government by destroying the Republican Party. And the Republicans have been too dumb and too greedy to see beyond the next earnings statement for the corporations. Cheap labor, cheap labor, cheap labor. Well, that's terrific. And when you destroy the middle class, you destroy the American dream, you destroy the heart and soul of America. And if you read 1984, you know that George Orwell had said that the crooked totalitarian government in that novel that he wrote, 1984, feared the middle class because it was the middle class that had the education and the understanding but lacked the money, and so they would want to improve their situation, and there was no telling what they would do. So in 1984, it was the middle class that came under the tightest surveillance. And today the Democrats and the Republicans appear to be determined 
to destroy the middle class, one party because of greed, the other party because they're trying to take control of our government. This is a dangerous, dangerous situation, and we need to wake up. I saw a commercial on television just a couple days ago. My wife and I saw it, and we freaked out. A website where you can buy used clothing. There's another website or app. Um, It's called Toro, T-U-R-O, where you can rent out your car to a stranger. Or if you need a car, you can rent a stranger's personal vehicle. Is this America? Americans renting out their family vehicle to a total stranger? Americans going online to buy used clothing? We're turning into a garage sale? You know, the communists said the capitalists will sell you the rope with which you will hang them. Folks, we're having a fire sale on rope. And that brings me to the article that I wrote for Front Page Magazine just a couple of days ago. And the title of my article was ICE as vitally important as a border wall, why interior immigration enforcement is, as cru- is, is a crucial element of immigration law enforcement. We've been caught up in this whole big argument about the border wall, the border wall and the border wall and the border wall, and we do need the wall. We do, and I'm a, I'm a strong proponent. I believe we need it. I think it would help. But if all we do is build a border wall, don't bother. And this is the reason why. Nearly half of all illegal aliens are entering the United States through ports of entry with visas or under the visa waiver program, which should have been ended. Um, So a border wall would stop part of the flood. But interior enforcement addresses so many issues. So for those of you who don't understand the concept of the interior enforcement of our immigration laws, I thought that this evening would be a good time to have that conversation because much too much energy has been poured into the border wall while we ignore the fact that we have no agents to do the other critical missions uh, within the interior of the United States. The immigration system, as I described it, right after 9-11, I was asked by Tom Tancredo, who at the time was a congressman from Colorado, and he chaired the House Immigration Reform Committee, uh, the House Immigration Reform Caucus. And... Um, the whole point of the caucus was to figure out what went wrong on 9-11. And I testified, as it turned out, without permission. My agency withdrew my permission, but I did it anyway. We had been attacked. I remember my dad telling me that it was real easy to spot a real man, as he put it, construction worker that he was. That's why I relate to how Trump speaks, although sometimes I wish he would be more nuanced. And my dad said, the real man is the guy with the balls to stand up when it counts. And when I was asked to testify, and then I was told that the INS said I should not testify, I heard my dad's words in my head. The real man is the guy with the balls to stand up when it counts. And after our country was attacked, after those ashes landed on my home, after my neighbors were killed, and as I watched my neighbors at night wandering in the streets like zombies because they didn't know what had become of their wives, their husbands, their children, their parents, their brothers, their sisters, their best friends, I decided this is the time when it counts to be heard. So I did. And one of the things that I said in my testimony before the caucus is that effective immigration law enforcement must stand on what I've come to call the immigration enforcement tripod. And under my concept, the Border Patrol enforces the immigration laws between ports of entry. 
the inspectors at ports of entry enforced the laws at those ports of entry. I did that job for the first four years of my career. And then the special agents bring up the, the third leg of that tripod. That's the, the leg of interior enforcement. And I did that job for 26 years. And most people presume that ICE agents are just there to make arrests. Well, they do. They are supposed to arrest illegal aliens. No two ways about that. They're also supposed to go after employers to make certain that people aren't intentionally hiring illegal aliens. And it's not just enough to go after the employers. You've got to go after the aliens who are accepting illegal employment. You know, whenever I talk to the lawyers, oh, we don't want to go after the aliens. I mean, after all, baloney. You're working illegally. You know, to me, the comparison is this way. Uh, who's responsible for prostitution, the prostitute or the client, the John? I would argue that the equation balances. If the guys weren't out there looking for, for the prostitutes, the prostitutes wouldn't have anything to do. And if there were no prostitutes, then the guys wouldn't be out there looking for them. It takes literally two to tango. So the employers are as responsible as the illegal aliens who work. I want to be clear about something, though. Uh, I can tell you I've arrested probably thousands of illegal aliens in my career. Many of the people who are working are desperate. And when they work illegally and their employer knows they're illegal, they are exploited beyond words. I mean, I, I can't even tell you some of the work situations that I saw where I would go home at night and not be able to sleep or go home at night and be in a state of rage. Women for, forced to have sex with their employers, men being worked like animals, um, the capacity for, for selfishness and nastiness by the human species, I, I don't have to tell you. We have some real losers who are part of our species. Um, it would anger me. I want you to understand that the employment of illegal aliens does not constitute compassion. And when people say, don't you feel bad for these people? Yeah, I do. I do. The solution to world poverty isn't to bring every poor person to the United States. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. Half the world's population lives below the poverty line. You think we can bring 2 billion people to the United States? And here's a part of the equation that nobody talks about, and maybe it's time that we did. Because I've had arguments about this. And people say to me, come on, Mike, look how big this country is. My goodness gracious. You have all these rolling hills and mountains and we could bring in God knows how many more people. Why shouldn't we? Here's why we shouldn't. We can't. Because it's not just about finding a house for these people to live in. No one even thinks about this. Every person who is in the United States needs food, needs water, needs electricity, needs hospital care at some point, needs infrastructure. If they have children, they're going to go to school. If they're going to work, they're either on the highway where they're consuming gasoline or taking a seat on the bus or train. Uh, all of this is inflationary. It causes congestion. New York is a sanctuary city. Midtown Manhattan becomes so congested at times. I, I've been there where after a half hour, I've driven a, a block in a half hour. So the solution, of course, is congestion pricing. Why are we congested? We're congested because New York probably has a million illegal aliens living here. If you got rid of the million illegal aliens, there'd be no congestion. So the genius politicians, the crooks that run our political system, the solution is congestion pricing. 
We've caused the congestion by sanctuary policies, and you're going to pay for it. This is like going to Tony Soprano for protection. I'll pay you money, and you won't throw bricks through my window. Are you kidding me? They caused the the congestion, and now we are going to pay for it. We're going to pay for it. And you look at the cab drivers who've committed suicide because they were betrayed by the city when the city said, you know, we'll sell you the medallion. Those medallions for those cabs in New York to have a taxi cab, you have to have a medallion on the hood of your cab that signifies that you're authorized to be out there picking up passengers. Along comes Uber and Lyft. And, you know, those medallions that were a million dollars a few years ago, I don't think they're worth $100,000 now. So you have people that have put their life savings and mortgaged themselves up to their eyeballs, and they're finding out that this million-dollar investment just dropped to, dropped by 90% in value, and they can't pay their bills. And we've had cab drivers tragically commit suicide because they saw, saw no way out. And now these cab drivers are going to have to pay congestion pricing so they can have the privilege of driving into a jam-packed city. It's just remarkable. And I I wrote a little bit about that in another article. Sanctuary cities support corporate welfare. And the the, the subtitle, More Vicious Hypocrisy from the Left. So, So understand what the problem is that we're dealing with. Immigration impacts just about everything that we're dealing with, folks. So interior enforcement is critical because once aliens get past the border, whether it's the inspector at the port of entry, whether it's the border patrol, they're basically home free. The agents are supposed to arrest illegal aliens. They're supposed to arrest people who commit criminal violations of the immigration laws. That includes criminal conspiracies to commit fraud, whether it's marriage fraud or labor certification fraud, the person that cranks out fake passports and fake green cards and fake social security cards, gives them to aliens. These are all crimes that ICE agents are supposed to investigate. Now, the amazing thing is when they put ICE together, and I wrote about that in my article, it became catastrophic because suddenly what should have been an agency focused like a laser on immigration is suddenly focused on everything. So they're doing intellectual property crimes and kitty porn and money laundering and drug trafficking, all these other crimes, big, big, big spectrum of crime. So you're lucky if half of the time ICE agents are doing immigration work. You're lucky if it's half the time. They also back up Secret Service. So during presidential election campaigns, I can assure you there's no immigration work being done or virtually no work being done. This is nuts. John Hostetler had quite a bit to say about it. He was chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee, and he was a Republican, and he didn't mince words about how he felt this impacted us, creating what he called immigration incoherence. And to just focus on the border wall and nothing else guarantees failure. And I think one of the reasons the politicians are happy to cut the number of ICE agents is because one of the other things that ICE agents frequently uncover are crooked lawyers. So if you don't have ICE agents out there, who's going to know if lawyers are violating the law, entering into criminal conspiracies? This is as sick, twisted, and corrupt a situation as I've ever seen in my entire life. You have immigration lawyers on both sides of the aisle. Zoe Lofgren now chairs the House Immigration Subcommittee. And by the way, when the Democrats took control of the committee, the the name used to be 
immigration, border security, and claims. The first two elements I'm sure you're familiar with, border security, that's pretty clear. Um, you, you know, so how do we go from immigration, border security, and claims to, and claims, by the way, simply means the applications for benefits. They're claiming a benefit, and the idea was to make sure that fraud wasn't being committed. By the way, fraud is a huge issue. You don't hear much about it. You don't have a dramatic a visual that goes with TV. You know, people jump the border. They've got those great images of the, of the aliens on the fence and climbing. Every time I go on TV, whether it's Fox or, uh, or the other programs, they always have some visual of, of aliens running the border, climbing the wall, all kinds of crazy stuff, wading across the Rio Grande. Immigration fraud, what are you going to do, show some guy sitting at a desk reviewing papers? But that is so critical because the 9-11 Commission found that immigration fraud was the key method of entry and embedding, hiding in plain sight for the terrorists. Interestingly, I testified at my very first congressional hearing on May 20th, 1997, four and a half years prior to the attacks of 9-11, four and a half years after the first bombing at the Trade Center, and a month before that, the shooting up of the CIA by a Pakistani national by the name of Kansi. So the topic of the hearing was visa fraud, immigration benefit fraud because of those attacks, because everyone knew that's how they got in and that's how they were able to move around the country. That's how critical fraud is. But nobody talks about it. And there's no agents to enforce the law to go after the fraud. So you wind up with a situation if anybody can get past the border patrol or get past the inspector at the airport, the likelihood that he or she is going to get caught is minuscule. And catch and release doesn't just apply to the border. We have catch and release within the interior enforcement program also. In fact, that was an issue that I'd raised at a couple of hearings. I made the point that I had cases where I chased an illegal alien for several blocks, got into a fight with him. The guy was throwing garbage cans at me. I remember that one case in particular was nuts. And then when they brought him into the office, we didn't have enough room at the lockup, so we had to let him go. So he went back to Jamaica. Not Jamaica, West Indies, but Jamaica, Queens, where he was renting an apartment. So catch and release isn't just for the Border Patrol. And when the Border Patrol gives somebody a notice to appear, they've become, they, they now call them notices to disappear sarcastically. There's no one to look for them. They play a game of hide and seek. They hide, no one seeks, because we don't have the agents. So when you hear people say, border wall, border wall, border wall, please understand the border wall by itself isn't going to do the job. We have immigration failure by design. We've turned America into a sanctuary country, and that was, in fact, the title of the piece that I wrote for the social contract a while back. I called it sanctuary country, immigration failures by design. This is what the politicians want to see happen. This isn't because we're not capable. You have... Basically, the equivalent of 3,000 ICE agents for the whole country. How in the world do you expect to get the job done? How do you expect to get the job done with 3,000 agents for the entire United States? Put that in perspective. TSA has 45,000-plus employees. Okay, The New York City Police Department has over 37,000 police officers, more times as many police officers just for the city of New York, which is geographically a very compact area, as compared with how many ICE agents we have doing immigration work through the entire United States of America. 
And then it's remarkable. I was reading an article in The Atlantic, and they are super to the left. Um, they don't like immigration law enforcement. And they were criticizing the president's zero uh, tolerance policy towards illegal aliens and saying, well, once they put the agents out there and said, go arrest people working illegally, then the emphasis went away from going after these conspiracy investigations and so forth. And I understand the frustration, but here's something that the people they interviewed, and, and supposedly some of them had worked for immigration, uh, but I'd love to know what casework they did. The mundane often becomes the profound or the serious. My very first fraud investigation when I was a brand new agent. For the first year when you're a new agent, you do everything with the senior agent next to you. The senior agent evaluates you, mentors you, Make sure you don't get into trouble. Um, so they're there by your side because people wash out during that first year. They just don't have what it takes. And a record is kept. We used to do something called C&Es, which was copied from the Marine Corps Conduct and Efficiency Reports. I'm not sure procedurally what ICE is doing now. But every two weeks or so, whoever you were working with, your senior partner would fill out a C&E. And it was in detail, you know, where your shoes shine. Was your clothing neat? Did you show up on time? How effective were you in interviewing that prisoner, that, 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 that suspect, rather? Uh, if you chased somebody, did you run a half a block and give up? Or, or did you make sure that even if it was 10 blocks, you caught the guy and, and arrested him? Um, how professional were you? Did you issue the proper Miranda warning once the person started to confess to having committed a crime? Did you show good judgment? It was a whole bunch of things. It was about two or three pages long. Lots of material that had to be covered because they were very careful to put people into these jobs who could do the job properly, safely, effectively, and so forth. So after that first year, when you start to work on your own, it's pretty exciting. My first solo case, just like soloing an airplane, um, <clears throat> involved a young man who came in with an altered passport from Israel. He had a U.S. visa that was originally good for one entry. The number one was altered because back in 1976, it was just a stamp in the passport. There wasn't even any lamination over it, so people would mess around with these visas. They would show up. If you knew what to look for and what tools that we had, we could see if they were altered. But the inspector at the airport did his job or did her job and referred this case. They locked the guy up, and I was told, take a statement. The guy altered his visa from one entry to two entries, which is wrong, of course. And he altered the date of expiration for the visa so that it would still be current, except we know that this is altered. He's not getting in. If he doesn't want to talk to you, that's fine. If he does want to talk to you, go for it. Well, during the course of uh, interviewing him, and he did cooperate, um, he didn't want to continue the conversation when I asked about his service in the military, kept referring to Israel as Palestine. He came from the West Bank. I put all this together. We got in touch with the Israelis. Long story short. He had hidden within his clothing that he was wearing, because in those days they didn't wear the jumpsuits in detention. They wore their street clothing. And when I examined his clothing, I found a schematic of an oil refinery in Israel. The Israelis were able to arrest six would-be co-conspirators about a week before the attack was to occur. This was a nothing case. I remember that we arrested an illegal alien working in a glass factory. He made a false claim to being an American citizen, he was from Honduras, as I recall. Turned out 
that he had been previously deported from the United States after he did time for murder, came back to the United States, was prosecuted, was incarcerated in a federal penitentiary charged with the crime of unlawful reentry. He escaped from the federal penitentiary, and I found him working in a factory. So when people say, oh, we have watch lists and all this other nonsense, lots of times there are terrorists who are out there. There are bad guys who are out there. They're not on the watch list. I can assure you that most of the 9-11 hijackers, if not all of them, their names would not have shown up on watch lists. Sleeper agents' names don't generally show up on watch lists. Everyone loves to see, oh, we fingerprinted him. It doesn't mean anything. If we don't have access to databases from other countries and these people have never been here before, there's not going to be a record attached to their fingerprints. There's no magic here, folks. So when I hear this nonsense, oh, don't arrest people who are working illegally. They just need those jobs. First of all, those jobs should be going to Americans. Second of all, by working here, they're sending money home, which hurts our economy. I'm not angry with them. I understand they're desperate. Desperate people do desperate things. But it's about maintaining the integrity of the entire immigration system. What people don't know, most people, is that the second largest contingent of law enforcement officers who are assigned to the Joint Terrorism Task Force are immigration law enforcement officers. I worked several terrorism investigations because terrorists from other countries all have one common trait. They violate our immigration laws, often in multiple ways. So if you have an immigration agent on board, that agent is able to enhance the investigation by bringing to bear specific law enforcement authorities that are granted to those people who do immigration law enforcement work. And the other thing that we did, and I wrote about it, please go to, go to Front Page Mag after you listen to my program. We used to go out with the public moral squad of the NYPD and raid houses of prostitution because frequently the people who went to those houses of prostitution were illegal alien young men who had left their wives and girlfriends back home. So guess where they show up on Friday or Saturday night? We used to raid those places. We would lock up the illegal aliens. Some of the illegals were also women. Some of them were coerced into becoming prostitutes, forced into it. We worked with them, and they became helpful to us in dismantling prostitution and human trafficking rings. And by arresting illegal alien clients, the illegals would stop going to these places for fear that if they got caught, they were screwed. They didn't have sex, but they were screwed. That used to be the the sick joke we had about it. Guess what happened? We were able to shut down houses of prostitution. So it wouldn't be one of these situations where you do a raid and three days later, they're back in business. They were gone because the men would no longer go there. We used to go to the illegal gambling houses the same way, whether it was Italian, Chinese, various ethnicities, run these illegal gambling joints. We used to raid them with public morals. We worked shoulder to shoulder with the NYPD, and it was terrific. Before the sanctuary policies kicked in, we used to have access to the welfare computers. So think about this one. Woman claims she's married. She has three children, and she says, I'm married, and I'm living with this guy, and I filed the, green, the application for his green card. Well, we come to find out that she's been collecting welfare as a single woman with nobody supporting her. So who is she lying to, welfare or immigration? Almost always she was lying to immigration, not welfare. So when we told the person, okay, here's your choice, 
if you're really married to this guy, you're not supposed to be getting well-fed. You want to give back your money? Do you want to tell us what's really going on? And most of the time, probably 95% of the time, these women had engaged in a marriage fraud, thinking that this was a quick way to make some money. By using resources from the city, we were able to do our job more efficiently. And in some cases, these women were actually living with the alien. They had to give up welfare, so we saved the city money. Both sides of the equation made out on the deal. Why wouldn't you want to continue to do that? We have limited money, limited funding. Why would you want someone to get money to which they're not entitled, making it harder for those people who are legitimately entitled to that money that they desperately need? Why would you want to flood schools with children who can't speak, read, or write English so that you don't have the money to build that new science lab that we need? You don't have money for early intervention and special services for children who have autism and other learning disabilities. We're hurting American children so that the globalists can make out like bandits. So that's what interior enforcement is all about. In fact, it was the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force, we call it OSADEF if you pronounce the initials, that took down uh, Joaquin El Chapo Guzman. He got life without parole, or he's going to, I'm sure. That was the unit that I was assigned to for 10 years. And now we have this genius, um, Alexandria, the congresswoman, the bartender, who says, we're not, she was thrilled, she said, when um, Amazon pulled out of New York City, calling it corporate welfare. Incredibly, I believe, I, I agree with her. Uh, the idea of a backroom deal leaves the door open to corruption and all sorts of things. And if you're going to make cab drivers pay congestion pricing and go bankrupt, if you're not going to help little mom and pop stores, why should Amazon get something that you wouldn't give to small establishments? You know, America is not supposed to be might makes right. Oh, this is a big company. They're going to get the kid glove treatment. We're supposed to be treating everybody equally. We really are. And Amazon making all that money. There's a pool of talented workers here in the United States, here in New York City. So I didn't like the deal. And you may disagree with me. And by the way, as Americans, that's our birthright. We should always be happy to disagree as long as we're respectful and base our disagreement on fact. But what was so astonishing to me is she's jumping up and down screaming about corporate welfare when the biggest form of corporate welfare that we can now see in America is the displacement of American workers by foreign workers at the behest of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and a host of industries and wealthy people like Zuckerberg, like Bill Gates. Um, I mean, goodness gracious. That's corporate welfare, folks. And it is immoral, it is illegal, it is wrong, and we need to push back against it. So you've got the Democrats screaming about corporate welfare, like uh, Alexandria. I refuse to use her initials. She's not JFK or HST or, 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 uh, or anybody else like that, FDR. No, no, no. She's Alexandria. And, and you know, so you've got Alexandria, you've got Andy Cuomo, the governor of New York. The ICE agents are thugs. I refuse to even use their title when I write their names down. I've had it with them. They hide behind their titles, and they're screwing America and Americans over, and I've had it. When I meet members of Congress, I refer to them by their first name. They're our employees. They need to remember who's the tail and who's the dog. They are the tail. Please remember that. It's not about being disrespectful. It's about being fed up with recalcitrant 
employees who on top of everything else are insubordinate, failing to do that for which they were employed. They were hired to do a job and they refused to do it. Fire the bums. Throw them out. Um, Look, we've got to protect America and Americans before we do anything else. America's borders are our first and last line of defense against criminals and terrorists, enemy combatants. And by the way, I got to throw in aliens with dangerous communicable diseases. There's so much attention being paid to kids that aren't being vaccinated because the parents fear autism. And I understand that. Um, My son has a form of autism, but because of early intervention, he has an engineering degree, graduated with honors. We're cutting the funding for those programs to spend more money on English as a second language, which, which really frosts me like you can't imagine. But nobody in the media is talking about the aliens who come to America who've never seen a doctor, let alone been inoculated against some very terrible diseases. We've seen diseases in America take the lives of children, and those diseases had been vanquished a long time ago or were never here, tropical diseases. But no one is going to dare say maybe it's because people have been running our borders. Immigration impacts everything. Remember that Ellis Island was a quarantine station. You know, the open borders crowd, the immigration anarchists, they, they, you know, they beat their breasts and say, oh, my God, they closed Ellis Island. We have international airports and ports of entry across America. We admit well over a million lawful immigrants every year. That's far more than Ellis Island ever admitted. And that Ellis Island families were split up unceremoniously family member had a dangerous disease i guarantee you if we reopened ellis island those bums would be the first ones launching lawsuits to get it closed again so understand that what we're getting from the politicians today is the shaft we really are being shafted and this is our own fault for not standing up to them for not getting our voices heard for not being a participant in our own government The founding fathers believed that the highest title in our government was that of citizen. We need to take that position seriously. We need to be involved. We need to have conversations with our neighbors, and we need to let the politicians know that we're not the idiots that they had hoped that we are. Please get involved, folks. You know, I'm happy to do this program. I hope you find it informative and helpful. I'm going to be on with Dr. Dave Janda on his program Operation Freedom on WAAM on Sunday, 2 o'clock East Coast time. Tomorrow I'll be on The Advocates, hosted by Neil Young uh, on WEZS at 9 a.m. New York time. That's tomorrow. And I'll be back here again next week uh, on my own program, of course, the Michael Cutler Hour. Please go to my website, michaelcutler.net. Please also check out frontpagemag.com. And Newsmax, I have an article posted up at Newsmax about how all Americans would be united on the immigration issue if only they had the truth. And that's what this program does, folks, provide you with the truth. And as I used to tell the bad guys, there's only one version of the truth. Again, I ask you to be involved. I want you to remember that democracy is not a spectator sport. See you next week. Have a great weekend. Be well.